0: Hi, welcome to the Canadian Securities Exchange uh, podcast. I'm your host, Barrington Miller, Director of Issuer Engagement at the CSE. And today's special edition is unique. I am here with Mr. Chris Beals, CEO of WM Technology. What is it? You probably may not recognize that name over what they're more commonly referred to as Weed Maps. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, the reason I wanted to have Weed Maps on our program is that we, we have a canon. I want to add to the canon called the Cannabis Investor Series, which you can find on our YouTube channel, CSE TV, where we go and explore different themes and topics in and around the cannabis space. Now, what better way to continue this than with pretty much the largest, um, biggest platform for Accessing, locating, finding uh, cannabis, but not only that, uh, services, products, um, accessories, all of those things. So I thought it was important to have Chris on the show. Uh, Chris, for, can you please tell our audience who may not have heard of you uh, or Weedmaps uh, what it is uh, Weedmaps does?
1: Yeah, so the company's 14 years old, so we're a very old company in the grand scheme of things. We just went public uh, this last year. Uh, But we were originally founded around and are the largest online marketplace, sort of think that the Amazon of cannabis. And we uh, help retailers and brands uh, show their wares, find consumers, reach consumers, and then have that uh, turn into consumers being able to buy and to shop. We've augmented that platform, and what goes along with it is a a separate sort of suite of of business software, what we call business in a box or WM business, which is uh, a set of tools. Think uh, CRM solutions, uh, delivery, logistics, and compliance solutions, uh, an e-comm embed, WM store, that basically lets these retailers and brands hypercharge their business. And so it's a a complementary set of SaaS solutions that both integrate with or sort of augment. Um, the broader marketplace. And increasingly that portfolio is expanded out. And so there's um, two halves that are highly interconnected of our business. And um, yeah, we are in in almost every jurisdiction, or actually I should say every jurisdiction worldwide where cannabis is legal. So we are ubiquitous.
0: Uh, I'm broadcasting out of Toronto, um, (laughs) more specifically the suburb of Mississauga, and Weed Maps has a special uh, connection with Toronto. And can you tell us The origin, the origin story. Yeah. So we had, uh, we, we, there was
1: a company called uh, Grow One, which uh, right after I joined the company almost seven years ago, uh, we brought into the fold, which was um, a point of sale logistics uh, software solution. And that turned into our Weedmaps Canada office. And so uh, we, uh, we continue to have a physical presence in Canada. Actually, now it's expanded where it's across all, uh, several of the provinces um, but we've had a—I I think uh, most people don't know this—but we've had actually had a very long-standing, almost you know, seven-year physical presence in Canada, uh, and we continue to have a bunch of folks up there. Um, and so I think you know, prior to the current uh, re- adult use or recreational regime and all that, um, we had a we had a team up in Canada. Um, not, not, not dissimilarly. We also had a we we've had team in Europe for, for quite some time, uh, which is something that most people don't realize either is that there is a, you know, sizable cannabis scene in in Europe specifically Spain.
0: Now, would you classify yourself, uh, or, um, your company as a cannabis company or a technology company?
1: We're, We're a tech and software company through and through. It's just that we're, we've highly specialized to service the cannabis sector. We, now, now, what shouldn't be confused with that is we have cannabis in our DNA. We would not be able to make a marketplace that was so engaging, so sticky for consumers that had this um, dominant position uh, in, in sort of our longstanding tenure without really deeply understanding cannabis as a product, the needs of cannabis businesses, how cannabis consumers shop. We're sort of endless students of how the sector works. Um, but at the end of the day, Uh, over 40% of our headcount is engineering, basically our engineering product and design team, our delivery team. So we are a a tech and software and data marketplace company.
0: And now getting into a little bit of the data, um, are there any things that stand out to you or any surprising facts and figures that come out from all the data you're able to collect and all the data that, that weed maps is. And I know it's, you can find out about strains and, Mm -hmm. um, people's patterns and choices and habits and. Uh, regionalized um, flavors and tastes, but uh, is there is there anything that actually surprised you with that? Well,
1: you know, I think one of the things that we see, and I think this goes to a big opportunity for us and an important role we need to play. But but and when we've done survey work, you know, uh, roughly half of consumers can't recall a cannabis brand. Cannabis consumers cannot identify a cannabis brand, and I think that. Uh, we're in this interesting place where we're in the early stages of an explosion. When we look at our data, number of SKUs, number of products, number of brands, an explosion in the number of of brands, the number of products they have, the form factors, the types of consumption. And and there's a, a pretty universal constant, which is the brands are having trouble figuring out what consumers they need to target, figuring out what traits they need to highlight to get people to have an affinity for that brand. And we have you know, at this point, 14 years of first party transactional marketplace data of who's shopping for what, what they're shopping for. If they like this product, where's this other product that they like? And I think that that's really critical. And we're increasingly leveraging that into personalization and sort of dynamic flows within surfaces to help you not just find any cannabis product, but the particular one that you're looking for that you're likely to buy. And maybe you've never even heard of or seen before. But I think that's the thing that was most shocking to me in the data in this phase of, this just explosion of brands and products. And frankly, I think we're still in the early part of the up curve of that, that increase, you know, what other consumer good industry can you point to where basically half the people, this isn't saying they have a favorite brand, they can't name a brand. Uh, and so that's a huge opportunity for us. And I think it's uh, uh, something that the cannabis operators need to be mindful of.
0: Now, I guess, I guess your company is sort of borderless. Like you can, Cover the the United States. If I'm in New York and I'm I'm looking for cannabis, I, I pull it up, <laughs> I can find it. Go to California, I can find it. Go to uh, yeah. Jersey or Oregon or wherever. Um, so the I guess I guess where I'm asking where I'm getting with the question I'm getting to is when it comes to the the legal the legalization question, uh, does it really affect you or will it affect your company? Yeah. Well, so the interesting thing is I I take it as the
1: highest praise to hear when people go, well, Weed Maps is is ubiquitous or they're borderless, because that means that we're taking a bunch of really complex regs and making it invisible to the consumer, making it invisible to the business. There are a number of large operators that operate across different states, and the fact that they can use different parts of our business in a box solution or the marketplace and it compliantly works everywhere is reflective of um, a bunch of hard work and, and frankly, that 14-year history I mentioned. So, for instance, there are specific age gates or disclaimers if you want to take something on the simple end of the spectrum that are sometimes even city-specific. Uh, you know, a number of jurisdictions require, and we offer software for this, real-time GPS tracking of the order to the consumer, certain retention of, of logs, ID scans, that sort of thing. Um And so, you know, I think that's the important thing to understand is what makes us ubiquitous or sort of everywhere uh, is doing a bunch of the hard legwork so that these businesses can just use the software, these consumers can just use the software, and it's compliant. Uh, Medical recreational split, you know, if you're a medical user, depending on the jurisdiction, your tax rate's different, there may be certain product SKUs you can't buy, or conversely for an adult use person, and so we need to seamlessly suppress or change that based on who the user is. but. To your question, I, I think it's a great one. I think for us, I think there are two themes I think about when I think about federal legalization, which is one, uh, I, I, I kind of like the iceberg analogy, but but I would say a, the, a large chunk of our revenue, our opportunity for expansion, sort of um, value-added offerings we can provide to consumers and businesses sit on the other side of federal legalization. We can't put payment rails in our, our U.S.-based surfaces because of federal illegality. Uh, there are things we can't charge around certain types of fees, or uh, there are certain types of uh, uh, software products that we can't offer people around loyalty, subscription packages, things like that, because we'd be in the chain of commerce. And so, um, you know, there aren't too many marketplaces you can point out anywhere out there uh, that have a 0% take rate when it comes to running, you know, billions of dollars of transactions through that marketplace. And that's for one simple reason, <laughs> federal federal illegality. Now, the other thing, though, I think that's really interesting is um, when federal legalization comes, people mistakenly assume that that homogenizes this patchwork of state law. The opposite's true. We're actually seeing states breaking their laws, making them more disharmonized because they want to thwart interstate commerce once federal legalization comes. And so without naming any states or state regulators, we've had conversations with states where they say, we're making this change because we want to make sure that domestic in-state growers are the ones running things going forward. Uh, and if, it, you know, for students of history, if you look at things like internet uh, internet wine or interstate wine sales, that took decades to sort out. And that was with there not being winners and losers uh, for a lot of states in terms of wine. You know, there is not great wine that's produced in Michigan, whereas every state right now is a vertically integrated supply chain that they're very desirous of protecting. And so I think It will be decades until we see that that being said the great thing about being a tech platform is we're agnostic if states start to harmonize you have a bunch of brands that now need to use us to socialize new consumers to harmonize across different jurisdictions to get all that first party data who to target and conversely if the states don't if they stay in this patchwork system the states will continue to evolve diversely and they're going to need software that does this all seamlessly for them and so i think um, for for some of the things that people I think really um, angst about with federal legalization, we're, we're frankly agnostic to the outcome, and that's a, a a good place to be.
0: That's a that's a great place to be. And you've touched on so many points, and I, I was sitting here nodding, and you know I want to give you the thumbs up because uh, you know from what we've learned and what we've seen, there, there isn't a huge rush um, for these for these operators to necessarily break down the borders. Um, because their whole premise and their whole platform has been based on each regional state. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're making hay while the sun is shining, why would you want to change that? An interesting thought exercise
1: is this, if, if, and I, and I've, I've walked people through this before. If federal legalization came tomorrow, just full, full, you know, you can move product wherever you want. I, just, you know, and we have voluminous summaries of the labeling, the packaging, you know, all these because we have to build it into the software. I said, look, just run your eyes down this table of the packaging, the type of product requirements, the dosing requirements, the testing requirements. There is not one single product in one single state that could be sold in any other state and be compliant with this range of regulations if federal legalization happened tomorrow. I don't think that's a, a tenable forever state. I think that's inefficient and something would need to change, but. I mean wow it's taken us this long to eke out this level of legalization and now we're talking about getting states to harmonize lab testing rules to allow import of cannabis products that they rely on for jobs and tax generation within that state uh, good luck
0: with that um i i think the the easier path would be um would be sectors so mm-hmm. you have the the tri-state area um yeah. so that they could and i'm not saying that <laughs> that's just an easy task of Lumping three or four states together and they're going to agree, but there might be an opportunity for, or or the Southern Belt, um, Mm -hmm. things of that nature. That might be an easier uh, go-to, as well as there is protectionist measures that each state wants to institute, like, say, uh, 80% of cannabis sales have to be um, domestic and 20% is (laughs) imported, all, of course, within within the United States. And that, that's what we're yeah. talking about.
1: Um, uh, well, I mean, even things like all these states have their own track and trace systems. And we have some really, yeah. uh, we acquired a solution called CanCurrent, which is effectively a, this kind of power SaaS tool for integrations and connectors. Even if you wanted to move those batches across state lines, automating how the metric or the the and kind of track and trace systems update for those different jurisdictions. Because again, this good is regulated more stringently than opioids right now. These are some really hard software problems. And those are the type of software problems where I kind of rub my hands together and say, that's where we come in. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see it play out. I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly excited for federal legalization, although I don't think it's coming soon.
0: My, my over under is seven.
1: You, you, you're you're not that far from me. I, I tend to tell people, five or six because uh, I don't want to say something sort of outlandish. but yeah I think I think it tends to be five or six. We've been pretty consistent with that. We have a large policy uh, government relations team. It uh, helps power the software and everything else. But and I think one of the funny things is a lot of times when the media goes and asks sort of pundits for when is legalization coming, they, they usually ask someone who is a lobbyist who's getting paid to bring legalization and they wouldn't be a good lobbyist if they said, well, that's a long ways off because it would make the fundraising a lot harder.
0: Uh, we're going to, we're going to shift, uh, I guess, locales a little mm-hmm. bit and move away from North America and let's, let's talk a little bit about Europe because you know, quite frankly, there was, we don't know <laughs> a lot about what's, what's going on in Europe, but I'm sure you yeah. have a, a much keener insight. How mm-hmm. is business in Europe? So Europe's interesting
1: because I think there is uh, there are a number of jurisdictions that have medical programs that are operating, but maybe stunted or CBD programs. I think often you know Germany has pointed to because it has a medical system, and that's the source of a lot of the export for the Canadian LPs, where they have operations. Um, Spain, look, the I would say you know people often associate Amsterdam and the Netherlands with. Uh, you know, cannabis because of this sort of, um, I'd say it's kind of a, a gray market kind of safe harbor type approach to allowing cannabis consumption in certain areas, but that's not the same as legalization. Spain has probably had the most robust and continues to have the re- most robust sort of um, semi-legalization regime where they have these what are called social clubs that are in a number of cities. And it, it operates under sort of the different provinces doing a safe harbor. But These are I I think, frankly, I pointed to this for the U.S., the model for what consumption lounges could and should probably look like. Um, You know, the big the big news is Germany, you know, um, with the new um, coalition government talking about having recreational or adult use legalization. It was uh, under uh, under uh, sort of when when. uh, when Chancellor Merkel was, was sort of leading things, I think the feeling within the government there was that Germany would like to find a way to have more domestic production if they were going to grow and, and sort of augment this industry. And I'm not sure, uh, and I don't have, you know, up to -to date Intel on this, but I, I think that's one of the big question marks is if Germany were to go to adult use legalization, recreational legalization, Along with that, because right now most medical cannabis is sold through pharmacies, would it shift to domestic production and domestic dispensary type retailers that are spread throughout the country? I think it, it, it stands to reason that that would be their position or could be their position and how does that play out?
0: Um, you know, Chris, I, I really, I, I, lo- I love this type of stuff and I, I love finding, finding out uh, uh, things that we didn't know and I usually ask the questions that we get from a stock exchange um, now I, I guess I want to look towards, uh, the future of weed maps and, and if I'm a would-be investor, soon to be investor, shareholder, all of those yeah. things, uh, what does the future hold in your opinion for weed maps and the direction in the next six, 12, 18 months? To put it succinctly, uh, we've never been in a stronger
1: position. Uh, we've we've effectively been a profitable company for our entire history. I think being bootstrapped forced us to be fiscally prudent and responsible. Uh, my personal philosophy is that we should be, you know, investing in the types of endeavors that deepen our moats, broaden uh, sort of our reach and value proposition, and and can can show ROI. So how do we generate long-term value? And I think one of the things we've consistently been very good at is Uh, not not to sort of throw around Wayne Gretzky quotes, but is kind of skating to where the puck is going, sort of seeing where the industry is going and making sure that our feature set and what we're doing is servicing sort of what the future state of the cannabis industry looks like, not just sort of reactively looking at what's here. But look, uh, you have the largest marketplace for cannabis, um, you know, monthly cannabis consumers represent about 12 to 13%. I'll use the U S number of the U S population over 94% or roughly 94% of our monthly active users fall in that bucket. So we've down segmented to those folks. There is, you know, effectively no real first party marketplace data in the industry. We have, you know, over a decade of it uh, and have done very little. And so we're starting to turn that into personalization, to recommendation, to tools that coach businesses, how to perform better. And then on the flip side, um, you know, when you look at the value prop we provide to businesses, one way we look at that is return on ad spend. Uh, and, and we're, we're driving uh, in many jurisdictions an 8 to 10x uh, ROAS. So sort of a dollar comes in, 8 to $10 come out. That's great. But to me, I look at that as sort of uh, untapped potential for monetization. I think a more efficient level would be something in the 1 to 2x range. And so there's a lot of room for growth endemically within sort of what we already capture. Um, then when you think about a marketplace with our size and breadth, you know, doing you know, huge amounts of GMV and charging exactly zero dollars for transactions for that GMV, you know, I mean that's sort of it's an exciting business before federal legalization. It's an even more exciting business after federal legalization. Um, you know, and then I think the the kind of uh, ring fence of the SAS, the business in a box. WM business solutions going with the marketplace meet a deep area of of market need, but also add to that mode around the marketplace.
0: Um, Chris, this has been, this has been incredible. Uh, I've been joking around because we are talking a lot about, uh, we being the CSC, talking a lot about the metaverse and Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, I kind of have a feeling we might see, we might see weed maps in and around the metaverse at some point. (laughs) <laughs> you know, we, 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 we get approached a lot with,
1: uh, blockchain authentication stuff for supply chain, uh, because a lot of our software touches at the end of the day, inventory as a service, how you make sense of this crazy amount of data underpins our business. And so, yes, we periodically get, um, you know, pitches or ideas about putting in kind of block, you know, basically blockchain kind of, uh, token and ledgers to, to keep track of things. I've, Partially butchered the terminology there, but you get what I'm talking about. No, we yeah. we
0: we got it, we got it. No, that's uh, that that's wonderful. Um, Chris, thank you, uh, thank you so much uh, to you. Thank you to your team. A special shout out to your team for making this all come together. Uh, we tend to do our cannabis cannabis investor series. In the month of May, you can check it out on again CSC TV. And we would be more than delighted to offer you the first invite uh, for 2022 to appear on the Cannabis Investor Series in whatever capacity you'd like, because um, that would be great. This this is wonderful. Uh, For our audience and our listeners, uh, if you like this and want to hear more, check us out www.thecsc.com as well as on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. I've been your host, Barrington Miller with the Canadian Securities Exchange. Today, I was interviewing Chris Beals, CEO of WM Technology.